show, Mickey show. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion, and this melted body living. Time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. The No Mickey Show. Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst and it is December 22nd. Okay, so uh, I sometimes will highlight some of the like hate mail I get. Uh, and you know, it can come from all different directions. Sometimes it comes from the left. Sometimes it comes from the pseudo left. We know what we're talking about. Uh, but I would say the majority of the hate mail I get is from the right. And I don't mean like the online troll right. I mean like... Fox News, right? <laughs> There's no other way of saying it. Uh, I know folks ask me ask me a lot, why do I do Fox News? And why do I do, you know, and it's not just Fox. I've been doing cable news for uh, over a decade at this point. Uh, CNN, Fox, MSNBC. I was a contributor at CBS. But Fox is unique. And it really does depend on where we are in society, uh, what type of shows I go on, and why I go on them. There are some hosts I will never go on their shows because they are dishonest in how they present an argument. They're dishonest and they'll say, oh, we're going to have you on to talk about this thing. And then they change the topic. Um, but I've been doing it for a long time that most of the time, because of the relationships I built at these at, at, at these networks with these hosts and their teams, uh, that doesn't happen. And more often than not, they're grateful to have somebody from the left on. I know there is this idea that Fox likes to make uh, progressives look bad. I think for the most part, that's true. Not every show. Uh, every single host is a little bit different, but, uh, you know, during the Trump years, I decided that I was only going to do the newsy shows. Well, guess what? The newsy shows don't exist on Fox anymore because all the newsy people have left because folks like Tucker Carlson and Dan Bongino and Laura Ingram have been going further and further and further and Hannity, of course, to the right. They are now spilling over into cons total conspiracy land. So, now I am going on those shows. And why do I do that? The reason why I go on a show like Dan Bongino's show is because, because I've been doing this for a long time, I'm aware of what the audience is. The audience is not all conspiracy theorists. You'd be surprised, number one, on how many Democrats and independents watch Fox News, how many Republicans who voted against Trump and voted for Joe Biden watch Fox News, how many don't like Trump, but voted for him for tax policies, but don't like what they're pushing. The majority of the Fox News audience is vaccinated. The majority of the Fox News audience does not identify and criticized the Capitol six, uh, the January 6th riots. The majority of the Fox News audience supports Roe v. Wade. The majority of the, uh, of, of, of the Fox News audience believes that COVID is a thing and that people should wear masks. But there is a very strong minority that they're not necessarily just appealing to because they're competing with networks like Newsmax and OAN, but because it's influencing the vibe, the vibe of distrust of government. You know, the majority of Fox News audience actually believes in climate change. And up until recently, when I would go on air on Fox News to discuss climate change, it was not the hosts that were peddling the conspiracy theories about climate change and whether it exists, but it was often some guests, some guests, 
I've been on Fox News with conservatives who say climate change is real. I just don't agree with how we fix it. Or climate change exists, it's just not man-made. But they acknowledge it exists. Rupert Murdoch, of course, the News Corps emperor, uh, you know, he, 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 he is, he is the, the, uh, the man behind News Corps. His sons, one of his sons, is married to a climate change activist who actually leads a foundation that is funded by the Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, uh, that deals with climate change policy. So this is a major shift. They are now leaning in on conspiracy theories. And if you don't have somebody to call that out, it might seep into people's brains that are watching and they don't necessarily understand where their distrust of the government on something comes from. You know, I don't know why I don't like Fauci, but I heard something and I don't remember where I heard it from, even if someone believes in COVID and taking the vaccine. You need to do the pushback. The second part here is I sometimes get messages from, sometimes, from progressives or trolls online or whatever, saying, you should have said this, you should have said this, you should have said this, and you should have done these stats. When you're talking on Fox News, you're not talking to a progressive audience. You do not have 10 minutes to do a major debate. You're not sitting on a three-hour-long podcast. This is an entertainment channel. And with all that being said, there is a psychology of messaging. I spent a lot of time in this industry. Sometimes I usually go in with three stats and I hit on them. But in the case of this clip here uh, with Dan Bongino, which will roll after this, and you can watch, uh, I was debating climate change, whether or not it exists. And sometimes you have to do what you have to do, which is basically appeal to somebody's personal interests and observations. Because I'm going to guess the majority of people watching Fox News and watching that clip have seen that the temperatures have gone up, have seen tornadoes, have seen the wildfires, have seen hurricanes, have had their power go out, that they've personally felt climate change. And I don't want them to feel crazy because this is not normal. And so sometimes you have to just say the very basic things. The psychology of messaging is about what speaks to somebody's soul and psyche and how you speak to them. You can throw in a million facts. You can scream. You can laugh. You can be quiet. You can raise your voice. You can be firm and tough. You can be kind. That is all window dressing. Is how you speak to their psyche. I was raised in a home with lawyers. This was a big part of how you message to a jury facts because we are not wired, believe it or not, to process with facts. We are, we learn to do that in school and it is extremely helpful in times of a pandemic. But as we know right now, there are people who do not trust that this pandemic exists and do not trust the vaccines, not because they are not presented with the information and the facts or the tools to process it. It is because there's another group out there that is speaking to their fears, their anxieties, and channeling it into something. And if we don't think that way, 
about our messaging, we're going to lose this fight. So I go on Fox News because I know there are good people who watch Fox, who believe in climate change, who believe in this pandemic, who are one of the 77% of Americans who believe that Roe v. Wade should continue to exist, should, be, should not be shot down. This is what America looks like. But America right now is being ruled by a very rebellious, anti-authoritarian, and conspiracy-driven minority. And if there's nobody on there to aggressively counter that conspiracy, then somehow your good friend who may have voted for Biden but is a Republican or independent that watches Fox goes to the gym and that's when they see Fox or sits in an airport or a local bar and that's when they watch Fox, suddenly they went from being somebody who believes in science to now questioning, is it really some big, vast conspiracy theory? But if they don't hear the alternative, then they'll never know how they changed. We have to fight at every level right now. I could do a dissertation on Fox, but let me tell you something that's not going to hit people. You got to hit them where their hearts are. And in that situation with Dan Bongino, I literally have to call him out for not acknowledging reality. Because you know something that people don't like to hear when they're conspiracy theorists? That they're not living in reality. But, addendum here. If you are a progressive that goes, or suppose a progressive that goes on Fox News, and you are not arguing with them, even if you agree on one or two little points, if you are not differentiating and understanding that when you agree with somebody on Fox News, you are not winning them over. You are not winning over Donald Trump by going on Fox News. You are not appealing to him. That might be a cute strategy. But as someone who's done over, I'd probably at this point, 2,500 appearances on Fox News, who's seen the numbers, who sees the audience, who sees the ticks, and when an audience gets excited and doesn't and tunes in and tunes out and what that audience looks like between shows and segments and times of day, how they respond to women, how they respond to Democrats, how they respond to conservatives, how they respond to Tucker Carl, this is all available. It's not perfect information, but it is available. If you're going on Fox News because you want to appeal to Donald Trump, how'd that work out for you? So, Miki, uh, thanks for joining me again. I appreciate it. Um, pretty simple hey, question Mark. up front. Um, if, if hurricanes are getting worse and storms and are getting more extreme, then why aren't hurricanes and storms getting more extreme? There's no data to back that up. Well, there is data to back that up. Um, over the last 1,300 years, the last 50 have been the warmest on record, every year being warmer than previous. So when the oceans get warmer, hurricane, you have more hurricanes, which is also factual. We've had more hurricanes this year than ever before. Uh, and we've had stronger storms that are outside the normal path. There is a consensus of scientists, world leaders. There's a consensus of corporate leaders. Corporate leaders are now on the same page because they're realizing that they're losing money. So there is a global consensus about climate change. And there's a local consensus. People know. They know. Today was 61 degrees, the hottest day ever recorded in history on this day in New York City alone. People understand how climate oh. works now. We have to move past that because it's costing people's lives, their homes, their businesses, their insurance costs are going 
going up. It is, it's really hurting individuals across the board. No, Miki, if, if what you just said was accurate, which it isn't, then why is the National Hurricane Center data indicating that hurricane impacts of the United States are at an all-time low? You know, we went more than a decade without a major hurricane. That was the longest such period in recorded history. You can see the quote right there from the National Hurricane Center. So what about Hurricane what Maria? consensus? I think you're Wait, talking about the Nomiki consensus because that doesn't seem right. <laughs> I like the branding on that one. I might start a blog and just invite a bunch of scientists to join that blog. But uh, I mean, Hurricane Maria is a perfect example. Four years ago, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico uh, and, and still to this day, they're dealing with the consequences of that hurricane and that there are still homes without, without roofs and tarps. Uh, are still covering it as they get storms constantly. The power yeah, that's is, kind of a, the, you know, you can't go You're not answering the question, though. You, all right, I got to move on. You're not going to answer. Record, but, though. All right, that's not what the that data says. I just ago. showed it to you, but you don't have to be interested in Strongest data. Strongest hurricane okay. in record uh, is Hurricane second, Maria in Puerto Rico. Second, climate change is, is making these storms more severe. Um, there's no evidence of that either. Mm -hmm. Here's the uh, International Panel on Climate Change report. They say pretty clear as day, trends in tornadoes associated with severe convective storms are not robustly detected. So again, is the Nomiki consensus otherwise that no, they're getting worse because you said so? No, I think, like I said, it's not about being getting worse. It's that there are more of them and they're getting worse. We're no, sitting in New York right now. No, I that's not true. Wear I'm wearing a turtleneck today and I'm dying of heat. We understand it's not just about climate. And this is my question to you and to those who are not understanding what is happening. It is hard to not understand that blizzards are worse, tornadoes are worse, hurricanes are worse, there are fires. There were over you, 100 yeah, fires in Greece this summer, not to mention most of the no, Mickey, literally nothing so, you're saying is true. I'll put this? data on the screen right here. All the screen. The last EF5 tornado struck eight years ago. Tell that to the, to the Amazon workers who died in that no, Amazon I'm telling facility. It to you. Tell that to the people yeah, who lost their tragic. homes. But well, you but trying like, to politicize their deaths is really why kind of gross. Why are you against acknowledging what's out there outside your door? Why are you against science? Because I is believe there by, in by data any chance a financial science? reason? Is it because oil and gas is funding the airwaves? Yeah. I'd like to know why you are against what everybody else on this planet sees and is trying to prepare for. No, I'm just for. citing to you National so Hurricane Center data and the International future. Panel on it's, Climate Change. You, you just don't like well, the data. Well, then I'll fight with a scientist. If you're going to have that, then bring on a yeah. scientist I, I to react to that. I just showed you the, the problem scientist. is, is no scientist like will debate that. Yeah. I, it's well, absurd. Okay. I it's absurd. I no data. scientist, no global leader. a bunch of nonsense. All right, I got to go. But thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it. CEOs, they're reacting to climate change. Yeah, all right. have heard, but um, the Proud Boys are now running for local office. They have an actual strategy to run for school boards and city councils and in local communities because it is actually more achievable. It is, it is, a, it is, it is frankly, an easier run. You don't have to raise as much money. Uh, the districts are smaller. You can count on knocking on doors and the community building that you have, but it's also extremely dangerous. We all know that the Democrats have put little to no investment in 
uh, in basically a, a, a more expansive uh, approach to running for office. They have put little to no money in building a pipeline over the last 15 years. And that has led to really dire consequences as losing legislatures that the Democrats used to control, which has affected uh, how reproductive health uh, functions in that state, whether or not there are clinics, whether or not you can have an abortion in a timely manner, uh, whether or not your school, your public school gets funded, whether or not unions are strong. Are you in a right-to-work state or do you have a union state? This matters. And when the Democrats don't put money into local parties, into organizing that pipeline, people forget what the Democrats are supposed to represent. And then simultaneously, unions are weakened. So the unions are less associated with the Democratic Party, or the Democratic Party is less associated with unions. So it's a prime opportunity for conservatives, which they've been doing for the last 40 years at this point, to invest locally and take over. And now it's even worse because it's not just Koch brother conservatives anymore. It is far right extremists, the types of people who stormed the Capitol. Well, we're not going to wait for the Democratic Party. Matriarch is an organization that runs working class women, progressive women for office. And in 2020, uh, we had a wonderful slate of candidates that ran for Congress. Cori Bush was one of our first founding members and obviously a huge win. She's a former nurse. She's a working class woman and she had experience. She's a mother. All of these things are really important. She's been part of the community. People knew who she was. It took a few shots, but that's actually how politics works. It takes an average of three times for a woman to run for office. We don't even know the statistics on what it takes for a working woman because it is harder for a working woman to run for office when they don't have access to money, when they don't come from wealth, when the establishment is not on their side. So Matriarch is expanding in 2022, and we are going to be endorsing candidates up and down the ballot. We're going to be endorsing congressional candidates all the way down to those school board candidates because that is what matters. And if you are a working class progressive woman or you know of one that's exceptional, we urge you to tell them or run yourself at that local level. Running for Congress is really hard. You have to raise a lot of money to be viable because you have to hire staff and organizers and get your name out there and have a plan. But local is much more achievable. And that's why the Proud Boys are doing this. We believe that the model of taking on the far right is through working women. I mean, they're so scared of women, clearly. Their targets are the squad. Their targets are women across the board. There is deep, deep, deep rooted misogyny because they're scared of powerful women. Maybe it's mommy issues. I don't know. Uh, but we're very excited that we are going to be hosting a training on January 29th. It is a free training. Every single candidate or potential candidate that runs gets to go to this training for free because we are focusing on working class. We want this to be accessible to as many women as possible who are thinking about running or running, but it does cost money to put on this training. So we are trying to raise $30,000, hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, we are on our way. If you can contribute whatever you can to help us do this training for free, it'll make a huge difference because we want to make sure everybody has a shot, everybody has access to this training. It is not your typical training. We are going to be leaning in on class, uh, what what class barriers present in, in running for office, uh, what systemic barriers are out there and how you can overcome those systemic barriers when you don't come from wealth, when you don't come from the establishment and you've never worked in politics before what it means to be a strong candidate, how to build a viable campaign, how to get those big endorsements early, how to hire people, who to trust, 
What is your narrative? Because here's the thing. A narrative in Astoria, Queens is very different than possibly a narrative for someone running in, in, in Arizona, in Peoria, Arizona. And that's important. That's very important. What is the psychology of messaging? Issues are extremely important, but how do you message those issues to your community? This is the kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about this training, uh, but we need to get there. We're trying to raise $30,000. If you can contribute whatever, it'll make a big difference. I promise you we are doing this the old-fashioned way, crowdsourced way. So we're very grateful to you all. You go check out that link. The link is on screen. It's a bit.ly. Let's put that link back up so people can see it and uh, definitely share it and, uh, and, and hopefully uh, get some folks to sign up. All right. Amy Littlefield is the abortion access correspondent at The Nation magazine. I cannot believe that we have to have an abortion access correspondent. This is a ridiculous dystopian time that we live in, yeah. uh, that we are still fighting these fights and haven't expanded beyond, um, meaning, you know, other issues related to women's health, like like understanding how ovaries work. Because uh, I'm, you know, personally, I've talked about this a lot on the show that like we're just... I'm shocked by how many of my doctors do not know some very basic things about women's health uh, because no money is being put into it. So yeah, you know. absolutely, yep. yeah. Um, all right, so you know this is a really scary time for uh, the world uh, for a lot of sure reasons. Is. Yeah, and I, you know, I think what's really one of the the projects of this show is helping folks that may never have to personally deal with an abortion, uh, men in particular on the left and otherwise, understand how it's it's not just about abortion and access to abortion for women, for safety, for economic reasons, for just being able to be a, a woman who could make a decision for herself um, and family planning, et cetera. But it also is a tool, a weapon by the far right. Uh, which is seeped in misogyny and issues around strong women for so many reasons. And, um, you know, there's, there are these like memes of Handmaid's Tale, uh, you know, all the, all the Handmaid's Tales memes out there. But I, I do think that there's something like in the icon, in the iconographic sense of when somebody is raised with a woman who does not have the ability to pursue their own interests, their dreams, have their own ability to like make choices in life, that actually plays out in the family as well. Like how a child or man in particular deals with women. So it has this cat this 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 effect in the long term. So when you take on abortion rights or 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 um any sort of healthcare related to women, it's actually part of a much bigger project for them in weakening women so that men can continue to essentially, uh, certain men can continue to go without any sort of, um, you know, challenge to their, their, their like thoughts and actions and, and whatever. I mean, there's been a lot of writing about this, but, but part of this is part of the experiment here is it's not just a woman's issue. It's a societal issue. So uh, you, you wrote this piece in the nation, um, about how the Christian legal army, uh, behind the ban on abortion in Mississippi, the Alliance Defending Freedom has been laying the groundwork uh, to end legal abortion for years. And I think that's a great hook in this in that the right wing uses these 
these moments to mobilize around other issues as well. So tell me, how did you um, decide what's going on in Mississippi? Who, who are these folks? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great point. And I think it really is important to zoom out and look at what is the wider agenda here? What is the long game? What is the broader plan? And I think to understand that, you really have to look at the group that wrote the bill that is now going to give the Supreme Court its first real opportunity, you know, with its new three Trump appointees sitting on the bench, their first real crack at overturning Roe v. Wade and remaking legal abortion as we know it. Mm -hmm. And so the case that the Supreme Court heard on December 1st, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, has to do with a Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks in pregnancy. This law, as it turns out, was written by the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a massive, in the words of one of its founders, a legal army on the Christian right. And what this organization does, they write model bills. They work with state lawmakers to support those bills and get them introduced and passed. When the laws get challenged, which they often do, they defend them in court. And they have this massive network of thousands of attorneys that they work with or that have been trained by them through their Blackstone Legal Fellowship, where mm -hmm. speakers have included such luminaries as Amy Coney Barrett. Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, so it's really important, I think, to unpack the agenda of Alliance Defending Freedom, which wrote this bill back in 2018. And I went back and listened to tape of Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys speaking at an anti-abortion conference back in 2018, reveling in the fact that they had just gotten Mississippi to introduce the first 15-week ban as part of the ADF model legislation, and that this bill was the vehicle that they needed to um, proceed with their incremental strategy that was eventually going to allow them to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, of course, after 2018, you know, after that moment, things changed pretty significantly in terms of the makeup of the Supreme Court, right? And they now have a, a conservative anti-abortion majority. Um, and so that case coming up before this conservative majority on the Supreme Court um, means that things are moving faster than they could have ever imagined um, in terms of being able to just ask for an outright um, opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, but what I really wanted to do with this piece is zoom out and, and look at what ADF's overarching agenda is, because it's, as you point out, it's not just about abortion. In mm -hmm. fact, this is the same organization, the Alliance Defending Freedom, that is behind the record number of anti-transgender bills that we're seeing in state legislatures. And so it's no coincidence that we're seeing a record number of anti-abortion bills and a record number of bills aimed at, you know, preventing transgender kids from playing on sports teams that correspond to their gender identity or from using the appropriate bathroom, right? These bills are actually being advanced by the same Christian right organizations um, as part of an effort to really enshrine into law this rigid idea of the gender binary. Can, can I ask a question about that? Mm -hmm. When did they start? Were they the original folks who who started this 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 war against uh, the trans community? And and when did it start? Because, yeah, I, I'm very curious because like they're they're shaping the debate around so many issues right now, right. and right. and essentially 
putting everybody on, and I, I hate to minimize it this way, but on defense rather than, okay, we've moved past this point of society. Now we need to think broader about how as a collective. Um, but but yeah, when did when did they start? It's interesting. They actually started a few decades ago as sort of a counterpoint to the American Civil Liberties Union. Mm. And it was at this time where the Christian right was really looking for um, a hub that would allow it to address a whole bunch of different issues at once through the legal system. And they started small, they started grassroots, and they started supposedly with this vision of kind of copying the, you know, liberal model of, you know, which is kind of like, absurd to think about now when you look at sort of the way the Democrats are behaving in yeah, their current exactly. Congress. But, but in theory, that's what they were doing. Um, they were trying to sort of create this legal engine um, that would allow them to advance their agenda in state legislatures, in Congress, and through the courts. Um, so no, I wouldn't say that they came up with the idea of attacking transgender people. I mean, unfortunately, that goes back many years before the founding of ADF. But um, but I think what's happened is that, and I spoke with journalist Amara Jones about this, she does really amazing reporting um, through her organization, Translash. And um, and there's sort of this pivot happening now. You know, they've, they've always had anti-transgender legislation as part of their, and anti-LGBTQ legislation more broadly, you know, anti-same-sex marriage, um, they represented, perhaps most famously, the Colorado baker who didn't want to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. That was an ADF case. Um, so, so they've always been engaged in these sort of quote-unquote culture war issues. Mm -hmm. But I think what's really been happening is this increase in anti-trans bills at a time when they're really sort of getting ready to claim victory on abortion rights, right? I mean, yeah. Let's remember the state of Texas has basically been able to ban almost all abortions since September 1st. Um, so in Amara Jones's words, you know, for them, like the fight against Roe is basically like Roe is dead in, in some ways for them, right? Like, so it's the, next, it's the next organizing mechanism for the exactly. right wing. Exactly. It's yeah. the next front in the culture wars because they're going to need something to rile up their base, you know? once states are allowed to ban abortion outright. I mean, it's scary to say that, but but I think that is sort of part of the strategy here. Is there, um, is there a scenario in which the Supreme Court uh, does actually side with Roe, right? And, and or against Dobbs, right? And another bill is brought to the Supreme Court. It's like, is there another one in the pipeline that's just you know, because there's there's so many laws that are that are all yeah. over this country and being challenged constantly. Is there right. one in the pipeline that could be the next version of of weakening abortion rights? And and is there a scenario, by the way, in which Roe doesn't get knocked down? Right. I mean, there are many many bills in the pipeline. I mean, yeah. that's been the predominant strategy of Christian right lawmakers at the state level um, for decades is just to advanced so many <laughs> anti-abortion laws that the Supreme Court, now that they've managed to, you know, secure a conservative majority on, on the Supreme Court, um, that they will sort of have their full menu of options mm -hmm. um, to choose from in terms of overturning Roe v. Wade. Now, of course, one of those cases before them has to do with the Texas near total ban on abortion, mm -hmm. which, you know, so far the fight has been much more about, um, you know, the sort of technicalities of the strange civil litigation bounty right. hunter component of that law. Wait, explain that just for folks who are aware of this insane 
<laughs> those who haven't been watching. Um, so, and, and it's like, it's important to say it, like Texas is still, like it, it was an emergency when this law was in effect for 24 hours, right? When I talked to uh, abortion rights advocates on the ground in Texas, like it was a crisis for them that Senate Bill 8, this law in Texas that bans abortion after embryonic cardiac activity can be detected, right? Which is two weeks after a missed period. This law came into effect September 1st, and that was like an earth shattering crisis. We're now, you know, months in, right? And the Supreme Court has allowed this law to stand. And basically, this law, unlike similar six-week bans in other states, has this enforcement mechanism where it's not enforced by the state, which mm -hmm. means that abortion clinics couldn't just sue the state to stop it. It's enforced by your neighbor, uh, anyone who happens to It's like to a citizen's state. arrest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, and, and it's been referred to as, as bounty hunters, right? Like any private citizen who decides to enforce this law can file a lawsuit against anyone who aids or abets someone in securing an abortion. So that could be someone who drives someone to a clinic, donates to an abortion fund, helps somebody pay for an abortion, you know, you name it. And so, um, so the arguments, you know, right. So, so like there's this setup in a weird way because these cases were heard right at the same time in front of the Supreme court, if the Supreme court and, and like, you know, we talk about, we talk in the future tense often we talk about abortion rights, but like the Supreme Court has had many opportunities to stop this Texas law and they haven't. So mm -hmm. that already tells you what they are doing and have done on, on abortion rights. If they ultimately find some way to stop this Texas law and then allow the Mississippi 15 week ban to stand, it could have the effect of basically getting access to legal abortion, but making the Supreme Court look kind of moderate and kind of like they're compromising, right? Because they didn't allow private bounty hunters to sue abortion clinics and, you know, the relatives of anyone who seeks an abortion into oblivion. Um, um, so, what, yeah, that's what, the setup. I mean, in, in, in this scenario, just to, to get into the details a little bit more, like yeah. if someone were to receive an abortion, in that case, an illegal abortion from a doctor or, or however, uh, and then something went wrong, uh, which is likely to happen if there is not safe access to abortion. And mm -hmm. then they show up at a hospital because there's an emergency. Is that hospital now or the doctor that treats him or the nurse that treats that per that woman in the hospital now part of that 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 uh you know potentially can be you know pursued by a bounty hunter. Right. I mean, I think that's the the major question here and there are very few safeguards in this law if any to prevent totally frivolous lawsuits, right? Yeah. To prevent people from just filing a lawsuit to see what happens. And even that, even the cost of, of pushing back against a frivolous lawsuit could end up costing someone, you know, bankrupting someone, right? right. If they have to hire an attorney and um, fight back against this litigation. And so, um, you know, and and it, and these, you know, copycat bills like the one in Texas have already been introduced in, in other states um, and are being pursued as as part of, you know, this, again, this strategy of sort of just throwing everything mm -hmm. at the courts and seeing what they will uphold, which has, has been the strategy of the Christian right for years. And, and it's now starting to bear fruit. Um, let's talk about the clinics, too, because simultaneously mm -hmm. there's been funding cut across the board for uh, for women's health clinics, you know, in, in many of these states. So mm -hmm. uh, it's not just, you know, obviously it was under the illusion that they are not always um, 
conducting abortions in those clinics, but it's also just about women's health. So uh, I, I, I was in a debate the other day on Fox News with uh, this woman, mm -hmm. Leela Rose, who is a total nutcase. Uh, she is one of these, these women who just does not quote science in any way. But her argument was, um, you know, was that uh, women are not receiving that 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 that, that like doctors under they're, they're making this whole argument like a woman can't with the abortion pills like they should they need to be prescribed by a doctor but the abortion okay. pills um you know you can get them from anywhere you can get them online and like a, a woman needs to go to a doctor and i said to her i was like well that's that's great but you know you're also cutting access to these clinics so if a woman were to go there's nowhere to go because you've cut so much funding and you've advocated for this not to mention outside of women's health, just community hospitals, like rural hospitals. Right. So how does this overlap? And are, is this happening all in the same states? Is it the same folks behind it? Right. I mean, and that issue of access to medication abortion, I think yeah. anti-abortion activists like Lila Rose are terrified of medication abortion, and they're really honing in on it right now. Mm -hmm. So for folks who don't know, medication abortion is, you know, a two drug regimen usually of mifepristone and misoprostol. Um, if people are before a certain point in pregnancy, they go into a clinic, um, they are offered the option between a procedure and, you know, taking these pills, which will basically induce a miscarriage and cause someone to pass their pregnancy at home. Okay. And plenty of people prefer to do that. In this COVID and, you know, SB8 reality that we're in, a lot of people, like you said, are buying those pills online. You can buy them from groups like Aid Access that will ship them to, to the United States from overseas and sort of circumvent um, U.S. abortion laws. Um, and in states that don't restrict abortion, you can get access to these pills legally. Um, often if you meet certain medical criteria without even having to go anywhere to have an ultrasound, um, you can consult with a doctor through a telemedicine visit and, and have the pills mailed to you. The Biden administration just permanently eased restrictions that are going to make it even easier to get access to medication abortion from a pharmacy or by mail. Again, with a very important caveat, if you live in <laughs> states that will allow that and that aren't trying to ban medication abortion under mm -hmm. state law, which, you know, um, or ban, you know, uh, access to it by mail or, or easy access to it. I mean, which Texas has gotten less attention, but they have, in fact, um, tried to do that on top of um, or done that on top mm -hmm. of, of Senate Bill 8. So um, which is all to say, you know, I think the anti-abortion movement is really looking for messaging that will allow it to push back against medication abortion, because the reality is it's going to be very hard for them to control that right. through anything other than the tactic of criminalizing people who engage in it, um, which, you know, is a major risk, right? Um, but I, I observed this protest outside the Supreme Court. I was there on December 1st um, outside the court when it was hearing arguments on the Mississippi case. And there's a group of activists um, with, with Shout Your Abortion, and they yep. did this direct action where they all took Mifepristone pills, yep. the first pills drug. Now. Yeah. I have it sitting around here. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they were sending the message like, you know, we're we're out here having abortions and and you know we're on the cusp of of possibly the supreme court banning allowing states to ban that 
But unlike before Roe, you know, these medications are out there and, you know, and so there are safe options. The issue is a lot of people don't know about them. And again, there is this very real threat of criminalization. Um, before we, we wrap, I want to just ask you a little bit about where the movement potentially went wrong. I know that there's a lot mm. of conversation about <laughs> the last 40 or so years of this this fight and being on the defense. And, and you know, just from my perspective, I think there's been, you know, I think a lot of women's groups um, – there's a lot of conversation about like where the women's group groups went wrong, but I personally feel it's sort of a result of the Democrats, as you said, abandoning, um, you know, any sort of organizing or pipeline building or putting money into state parties or whatever, which, you know, I talk about over and over and over again. But I think that folks don't understand these organizations are stronger when you have a Democratic Party that is stronger. And when the Koch brothers are investing, maybe they don't care about abortion, but when they're investing in state parties and taking over state parties, uh, that helps lay the groundwork for more conservative Christian organizations to do the same. Um, when unions are zapped from states, you know, there's less organizing power in those states. So it's it's all these things kind of work together. But But I know you've covered this, so I'm curious like what your take and what you're hearing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I wrote about this in a recent piece for the New York Times. But basically, yeah. um, I think, and and you're right. Like, there's been a lot of things that have, you know, been involved in the incremental effort to chip away at abortion access and potentially ban it outright. That have had have been well beyond the control of of you know abortion rights groups. Um, including, you know, campaign finance reform and the vast power of the Koch brothers and any number of things. But um, but I do think this is sort of a moment of reflection for the movement. And I talked to um, more than 50 people who are involved in either observing or participating in the abortion rights movement. And one of the strains that emerged is that the fight for abortion rights has always been in the States, right? Mm -hmm. Since Roe v. Wade, um, the anti-abortion movement really focused on winning at sometimes even the city level yeah. um, and, and the state level and in chipping away at abortion access incrementally through capturing state legislatures. And there just was not a, a push on the other side that could rival that power. Instead, progressive organizations, I think, writ large, and, and Megan Winter writes about this in a really good book called All Politics is Local, mm -hmm. um, that there just was not enough of an effort to push back and build power um, in the states. And you know there was more of a focus on winning federal elections and advancing federal policy. And um, that allowed, you know, the, the courts were sort of seen as there was a, a litigation forward strategy. So, you know, yeah. laws would pass, you know, legions of laws would pass in state legislatures and abortion rights legal groups would sort of target the laws that they could target, that they thought they could win, and they would sue over those laws. Well, you know, that worked until conservatives captured the courts and, um, and you know, managed to come up with this law in Texas, Senate Bill 8, that's sort of court-proof, at least if you have a receptive audience. Um, and over time, the other thing that happened is those laws, the ones that weren't either weren't challenged or, you know, were able to withstand a legal challenge, they chipped away at access for the most marginalized people, right? So for people in red states who are on Medicaid 
or don't have health insurance or can't drive for, you know, 12 hours to get to the nearest clinic, the right to abortion vanished a long time ago. Right. Um, and I think, you know, one of the critiques that I heard from a lot of people in, in writing this article is that there was just not the urgency that was needed to defend access for black women, people of color, people on yeah. Medicaid, you know, when their rights started being eroded decades ago. Right, right. That's exactly it. Um, Amy, this, I, I, I hope to have you back on soon so we can continue to monitor this. Um, there's yeah, a very big great. topic and I'm just really appreciative that you're doing this work and committing to it. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a, have a happy new year too. Oh, same to you. All right, take care. All right, we will be right back with our amazing panel talking about all the dystopian things that we're dealing with today. know, but I am, um, I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire and this show is not getting Fox News ratings. <laughs> we don't have Fox News advertisers. That's called independent media. And even in independent media, there are hierarchies. There are folks who are getting ads from big sponsors. They're getting boosted by other companies. It's a complicated world we live in, but we are truly independent. We're an absolutely independent show. We do this show uh, on a shoestring budget because we know what it takes to get this out there. And if I were doing this for the big bucks, if David, if our team was doing it for the big bucks, uh, you know, it would be different. But in, but with that, when you take that big money, it also changes your priorities. It changes the types of stories you can share, the types of guests you can have on, the honesty and the authenticity that you can share with your audience. We are not uh, part of that. We we're just We just decided. I mean, I have worked in in the news industry, in the media industry for a long time. I think like, you know, almost a third of my life at this point. Uh, and I know the difference between being part of a big media empire or a small media empire and how that can affect your programming. We don't let it do that. And part of the reason, actually the sole reason, is because we have patrons. We have patrons like many of you who've been supportive all along, who've joined recently, who've come in and out because let's be real, the economy is tough. Uh, but when you go to patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show, we have all different levels and we also have swag. We're going to be doing some special stuff for our patrons in the coming year. It's going to be very exciting. We have really exciting announcements after the new year. Uh, and our patrons are the first to know and they get the extra content. They get, you know, some of the, the, the things that we're going to be putting on. I can't tell you yet. Uh, but if you go to patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show, I promise you it makes a big difference. We are a a growing community. And I know I've talked about this before, but I think it's worth sharing again. There are very few uh, media shows on the left that are solely hosted by women. It is harder for them to break through, for women to break through the systemic barriers of these algorithms because the algorithms are really skewed towards male uh, audiences and, and hosts, but the audiences are and I think ours is probably one of the stronger, 80%, 90% male. I'm not kidding you. So it's important. This is part of that ecosystem. You know, Google is not cre creating an easy pathway for a lot of people, especially people of color and women of color. 
Uh, and it does take a lot to put on these shows. So patrons are a big part of that. I just want to thank all of our patrons right now for being so supportive. Uh, this has been an incredible process, an experiment in media over the last few years. We're going to be doing some really exciting stuff. In the next year, we're going to be taking on fascism directly and telling, sharing with you how to take on fascism. Because let's be real, that's what we're facing right now. These are the crises that we're dealing with. We're also going to talk more about structural barriers, what's happening uh, with the Democrats, how we can potentially move the Democrats. It's hard, I know, and they're not really stepping up. But I think sometimes we lean on the Democrats to do things that sometimes we in our own community, we can do. It's frustrating at the federal level. But the real change right now is happening locally and at the state level. We're going to help you understand how to do that, how to take these folks on. The conservatives get it. The Steve Bannons get it. The Roger Stones got it. They've been doing it for half a century, at least. And they learned from the previous guys, like the Roy Cohns of the world. So why can't we? We got to think outside the box. And that's what we're going to be giving you on this show. We're not going to be fighting with other commentators. We're not going to be taking on the leftists in, in the house. We are going to be helping you understand how to build. That is what this is about. We don't have a lot of time, 11 months till elections. And that's why it's so important for patrons like you um, to, to be part of this community. We're so grateful to you. And you can join us at patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. It's a great New Year's thing too. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better fight back, I'm telling you why. Colonizers are coming to town. They're bringing their friends, they're taking our land, you're gonna find out they're naughty, not nice. Colonizers are coming to town. They steal You better watch out, you better not cry, you better fight back, I'm telling you why, colonizers are coming to town. Estas navidades no le rías las gracias a los gringos colonos cundidos de COVID. No le des coquito, no le des pasteles, no los lleves a las parrandas, que se vayan para Florida, se fricen el culo en Times Square. Hello and welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Uh, this is the last show before the holiday, our last panel. This is so fun. All right, we have Jordan Zacharin joining us and Napoleon to Legend. Uh, what's up, guys? Uh, Napoleon is, of course, hip hop artist, activist, regular of the show in Berlin right now. And Jordan Zacharin is the founder of Progressives Everywhere newsletter and is over at A More Perfect Union. More Perfect Union, not A More Perfect Union. It's so hard, man. Right? Did I get that just right? Just one of us. Just one of us. Just one perfect union. One perfect. One more perfect union, yeah. That's it. Uh, we're nowhere near that, by the way. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It. <laughs> it's not going well. <laughs> Still working on it. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> I mean, you could turn around. You could be like Germany. They they turn that ship, ship around a little bit. <laughs> Chile. Chile. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. Come on. Come on. We got to break these things into pieces. Don't do sorry, sorry. teasers. <laughs> I'm giving you guys. So the worst thing as a host is when a guest jumps forward on another topic because what you do on these shows is you break them into pieces and you're like, no, <laughs> the order. 
just, I ruin everything. You do, Jordan. You're never coming back. The end. We're kicking you off the island. Damn, rough. Rough times. Okay. All right. So got some news here. Uh, a lot of news this season. But I, I want to start off with the big news, which is President Joe Manchin is literally ruining our lives. Um, and not only that, the MSM, the mainstream media, for the folks who don't know what that means, is not necessarily calling him out in a way that I'm like a little – I feel like the whole world gets Joe Manchin now. And even folks who kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, work with him are still calling him out. But nope, nope, CNN's just like – it makes sense. Let's play that clip of uh, from CNN when the commentator covers um, Joe, Joe Manchin. Biden says, and you just heard him once again, mm -hmm. says Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done. Uh, but what does that look like after Manchin effectively torpedoed months of work? Well, it's hard to say what it's going to look like, as Manu was saying. But the truth is that Joe Biden doesn't hold grudges. And he is going to try and work with Manchin. And if you go back and look at what's, over, uh, what's happened over the last few days, Manchin did put a package in front of Joe Biden that was $1.8 trillion. What it did not include was the child care tax credit, which is of course so important to so many Democrats, but it did include universal pre-K, expansion of Obamacare, lots of money for climate change provisions. So there is a way where they can get together. But as Manu was saying, is it gonna be a big package which progressives wanted? Absolutely not. So would they vote for it? We don't know what the answer to that is. So the question is, would they rather go into the 2022 election with, with half a loaf or no loaf at all? Yeah, mm. that's a good point. You know, Evan mm, You know what? Even if you have a half a loaf, you still might die of hunger. Um, <laughs> they do hone in on how this does seem to float around one policy issue, which is the child tax credit. And child tax credit will alleviate poverty from so for so many Americans right now. I, I I think that like we don't psychologically in the punditry class or political class really deeply understand how much poverty there is in this country. Um and it keeps rising because the middle class is just like disappearing. Um but the way that they framed it is like have a half a loaf because that's gonna feed your children. Uh Jordan, like we'll get to the progressive part in a second, but this is the hill Joe Manchin is going to like wreck the country on. Like this is it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting in that CNN they talked about like going to the elections. They didn't talk about you know what it actually means. You know, they, they named the they named the programs, but not like, oh well, uh, Democrats. Uh, you know, and, and it'll be Joe Manchin doing it, but it will be the entire party that will be held responsible for it. You know, they have an opportunity to continue to alleviate child poverty. Uh, instead, they will be because of one man or because of the, the party's kind of incompetent allowing tens of millions of kids to get, fall back into poverty. You know, if poverty, child poverty was slashed or, you know, they say by like 40%, you know, and, and there's a pretty low bar for what poverty is in this country. So I don't think everyone's like, uh, you know, running around and Joe mentioned some Maseratis or living on his uh, yachts at, like he is, but uh, they're not, they're not saying what it means. It's all about what are the politics because it's all these shows based in Washington who just have former strategists on as, uh, you know, TV pundits. And so, you know, it's none of it really even makes sense. It's just like arguing over, uh, nonsense words at this point. You know, what are the child tax credits? It's, it's a It's always been a terrible name, but none of it like uh, has any consequence to anybody when they talk about it like this. And so 
when you're not building a popular movement behind extending a child tax credit, you're not building a popular movement behind uh, helping parents, you're not building a popular movement behind any of this stuff, like, and you're just constantly changing the numbers and you're changing the shell game and you just have people talking about what does it mean for an election, it all becomes meaningless. And that's why Joe Manchin can do stuff like this because no one's going to like call him out, no one's going to stop him, no one's going to say, Joe, do you just like, hate kids? Uh, because that's like yeah. what it should be, just like Joe Manchin wants kids to die, uh, wants parents to die and thinks that they're all drug addicts apparently. Um, but none of that stuff makes a difference. None of that stuff's at all ever mentioned. It's just like, what will this mean for the election? It's interesting you say that because it does seem like a new flavor, but not directly, of like the war on crime. Like I, I know that might sound like a, a a stretch, but it was so much about like quote unquote like the welfare state and crack babies, and then it became the war on crime. And you know, I saw an article this last week, like where people, and I think it was the New York Times, but I don't want to be misquoted, said like where people spent their fourteen hundred dollar checks, and like it was almost like, see, gotcha. They didn't spend it on rent. They spent it on, and I I mean, like, how do they do? They pull people. It's very hard to tell. But all I know is in places like Germany, they were handing out checks for, for after school programs during the pandemic, literally for like soccer programs. And uh, it, I don't like, how do they frame things in Europe? I, I mean, Napoleon, like you're there, you're, you're fully aware of what's happening in terms of societal collapse. <laughs> Well, to be honest, I'm more aware of what's happening in the U.S. than over here. But it's just, I think people over here are like, like people marched in the streets. I've, I've seen marches about, um, you know, giving people apartments, you know, and, and stopping like luxury apartments and things like that going on in Berlin and to alleviate like homelessness and things like that. So it's like you could you could tell like the the awareness around these social issues and, and their um, willingness to go to bat for them is like really there whereas in in america it's it's just funny how like whatever jordan is saying like you don't it, it, they talk about it like like the consequence aren't going to be dire for like millions of people so and i feel like there's a reluctance for people to really go at joe manchin hard for 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 the disgusting like human being that he's been in in this whole process like everybody's scared everybody's trying to keep decorum and things like that even when i hear other senators talk about him you know e even bernie I, I feel like like joe biden really needs to lash out on him and really re really put him to task but nobody's holding his feet to the water they, they're mentioning him but it's so passive it's just like it's like you're watching a video game or something yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is the funny thing is, is, is we have this clip, let's play it, of Joe Manchin claiming just the otherwise, that that Democrats are harassing him. Uh, and, and it's like, well, that's the least you should. I mean, this is somebody, I've said it before, I'll say it over and over again, the leverage against Joe Manchin, because his whole thing is, we might lose him, he might go over, this is what Senator Schumer told me to my face, to my face. Well, we might lose him, he might go and become a Republican. I'm like, yeah, you're going to lose all the all of the Democrat majority if you're putting all of your eggs in his basket. How about you launch an ethics uh, uh, investigation or someone file a complaint against him because we know what he's doing with his money. Like, how do you become a multimillionaire while you're a senator? And uh, it's, you know, there there aren't outside income rules in, in unfortunately, in, in Washington. There are some limitations. Uh, very curious why nobody's really launched an investigation because that is- the whole, their, their whole racket will collapse if they did that, you know? Because exactly. it's kind of a racket. They're not going to put a curtain on the whole game. Exactly. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi saying, "Oh yeah, uh, it's the free market. They should be able to. Uh, we should be able to invest in stock." Well, her husband makes like five, six million dollars this past summer on tech stocks right before the 
right before Congress investigates big tech companies. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's they would all lose a racket. That's a thing. It's like they want uh, they don't want to put pressure on these people because they would lose their own money. You know, I think mm-hmm. you think like Josh Gottheimer types are living in um you know living in poverty. I don't think so. But you know, if you look at like they have not been able to or have not wanted to launch any sort of popular movement over the last year. It's all like insider games and talking oh, let's just be really nice to joe manchin maybe he'll just do what we say and so joe manchin you know for an entire year gets allowed to do whatever he wants and all of a sudden it's um oh they're being mean to me they're being they're being bullies they're not being nice to me and like that's what happens that's what happens when you just like give when you pamper someone for an entire year yeah uh, and whether it's like at, there's such an ang- like a populist anger right now happening across the country and democrats you know have done nothing to harness it, you know, like I, I was happy to see Joe Biden wrote a letter to Kellogg's saying, "Don't hire scab workers uh, permanently." And then, you know, the union ended up having to take the deal because they were still doing the scab worker thing. You know, uh, you know, Bernie went there, and that was, was a greeted, harsh letter. Guys. Yeah, he was he was greeted like a king because you know he actually went there and showed up in a but place he, I mean, very Republican. Frankly, with all due respect to Bernie, and I, I, I agree that like this is really good that he's showing solidarity and he's doing more than anybody else. That is not what it takes. That used to be the bare minimum a senator sure. would do. No, no a question. Democrat. No like, question. And that's this the thing. is a it's time like, of crisis, and we're just like scorn, just scorn him on air. Just like well, you know. the thing is, like every single moment Democrats have had to use momentum to create a popular movement to convince people. January sixth, right? It took oh, them months God. and months and months to create a commission, and the commission was like they tried to have Republicans involved in it. Like it's right. like asking them your murderer to be like be on the jury, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get the criminal justice reform, but that is absurd, you know, and, and Biden never speaks about it. You know, we don't have a Fox News. We don't have that right wing ecosystem, but we do have like the president and really powerful people who can use their platforms to drive conversation. You know, Biden says, oh, I don't really think about the former president. Uh, student loan debt, they just put it off two extra months. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have harnessed so much anger at bosses, at employers, and just, you know, at banks and put that aside for good, created some positive momentum. The Supreme Court, whether, you know, abortion's about to go by the wayside, the Supreme Court's also probably going to just get rid of all, um, just going to get rid of like all gun restrictions, right? They're not going to allow that anymore. And Biden's panel, his Supreme Court panel, his study panel, says we shouldn't do anything. It might be, it might, it might harm the legitimacy of the court as if like, you know, six people who went to Yale and were part of the Skull and Bone Society and, uh, you know, had the diapers changed to federal society all of a sudden, now, like, the, uh, they are the most legitimate people that everyone believes in. Like, no one believes in the Supreme Court anyways. And so it's, you know, Manchin is only allowed to do this because they wouldn't do anything else, right? Because they would not spend at all this year use any political capital to harness public opinion. You know, I was just in Nashville, uh, in, in Tennessee, and I had, uh, you know, I was talking to a guy there who was, he drives Ubers now and, you know, he looked, you know, he was someone who had a good paying job before and he called himself a COVID casualty and he definitely does not believe in the same things as I do politically, but he was pissed at bosses and he was pissed at the system that allowed him to be thrown under the bus. And like, there's an opportunity to harness that anger and that energy. But uh, instead we have a president who's meeting with Walmart, a president who's meeting with, uh, you know, the CEO of Kroger, the worst, uh, you know, uh, grocery store in terms of they just abuse workers left and right and you know so back to bench and like he's been allowed to do this because there's been no pressure it's been just like all right let's be nice to them let's see what they'll do like i, I don't know what era they think they're in let, let, let's play the clip of mansion um because i do think there's something much deeper psychologically deeper um about this let's play that clip i'm not blaming anybody i knew where they were and i knew what they could and could not do 
They just never realized it because they figure, surely to God we can move one person. Surely we can badger and beat one person up. Surely we can get enough protesters to make that person uncomfortable enough. They'll just say, okay, I'll vote for anything. Just quit. Well, guess what? I'm from West Virginia. I'm not from where they're from. Mm. And they can just beat the living crap out of people and think they'll be submissive. That's what they do to everyone in West Virginia. He's going to make them all poor, like continuously make them more and more poor. 93% of people in West Virginia got the child tax credit, and he thinks they spend it on the drugs. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, he, he, he may be from West Virginia, but you know, he's one of the richest people in West Virginia. He's, he's not only one of the richest, he's one of the richest people in the country, statistically. Yeah. So, I mean, when I see this, when I hear someone like uh, Joe Manchin, who is playing the victim, but also like owning his power at the same time. Or when I see someone like a uh, Kyle Rittenhouse play the victim, but own his power. Or when I see the Capitol Hill rioters play the victim, but also own their power. All I keep thinking is, I've been thinking a lot about this later, lately. Our country is being run by boys that like, were not held accountable for their actions ever. And as a result, whether you're an Elon Musk or a Joe Manchin or a Kyle Rittenhouse or the Capitol Hill rioters, these are boys that through their entire life have lacked accountability and they associate personal accountability like treating someone with respect. There's such a disconnect because somewhere in their lives, maybe never, maybe their parents never held them or their mothers or whatever, they, they, they don't. They don't understand the implications of their actions and that it's wrong and that even if it is wrong, there are repercussions. And so whether it was your mom who was that person or was not that person in your house or the government, like it just seems like rowdy boys have completely taken over our country. And the rest of us are living in a world where we're like, there's supposed to be this order that keeps us together. And we're spiraling off of a cliff because these petulant boys have completely overrun every aspect of society. Yeah, I mean, they also are like from an era in which they don't have, uh, I mean, like no one ever told them no because they're all like 75 years old. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're like, were raised, they went to like high school. He, like Joe Manchin was a football star in 1960s West Virginia. It's oh, like God. he was, he, he went to school with like, I don't know, I, I think he was part of the, uh, what you call it? Um, uh, Mayberry, I think is when he, where he went to school, it seems like. And so, um, it's it just like no one's ever told him no. He's been filthy rich, and like all of a sudden, people are pushing back, so they just tell the, the left to shut up. I mean, Napoleon, what's your thought? What do you think? I agree. I mean, I think that's that's to me that's America's American history in a nutshell. Like America is still going through puberty, and we got people like that at the helm. I I I. I, I I don't know why I, I would try to take away his West Virginia argument by going to West Virginia and showing that, in fact, West Virginians don't agree with him and don't support right. whatever policies he's pushing. Because I feel like he's hiding behind that so much as if yep. like West Virginia is like another country or something like, no, it's in America. Your your, your state is doing bad. It always has done bad ever since I, I've heard of West Virginia. I never really heard a lot of good things about it economically. Well, he's been in power the whole time. He was governor. He's been through every single ring of, yeah. So he's been I at the table there. Go, I mean, go, go, go there locally and really show people, to, you know, tell them like, yo, we don't, we don't stand for his, his crap, but I don't know. And well, now the coworkers, coworkers are now uniting and pushing back against him. And so this is really amazing because this is how power works and why unions are so important because this is, they say you don't represent us. You don't represent us. The coal miners, who he supposedly has used as his like wedge issue forever, are now organizing and saying, uh-uh, 
I mean, all these all these policies are very popular. They're in the Build Back Better Act in West Virginia. There's been pollings. I will say the problem is that like no one knows kind of what the bill is or what's in it, and like it's just a, it's a list of policies that like are vague and promises that like people just know instinctively won't come true now because nothing ever comes true or nothing's ever really delivered. And so again, like we've been waiting six months or six, seven months, whatever it's been like conversation about some amorphous bill that keeps on changing. So there's going to be no political pressure because everyone's like, I, I don't know what he just killed. Right? right. Like there's no, there's no movement behind here are the things that need to happen. And there's no, like, uh, this is not like being towed, uh, touted as like the solution to some gigantic problem created by corporate America and the wealthy. It's, it's touted as like a laundry list of different policies that people are like, wake me up when it's passed and like where I can get my check. Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly it is people are confused. It's, you know, it's bad enough that most folks don't even know how a bill becomes a law, uh, let alone how, what sausage making went in, you know, how that the sausage making worked, but, you know, using really complicated language, whereas Republicans will just be like, freedom bill. We should have been like money bill. You get all the money. Right. <laughs> that's it. I think like what we're seeing is people just don't want, um, people just like are mansion is an example of like the American, like Napoleon was saying that, like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. And I think that's like why we're seeing people not getting vaccinated. They're not getting, they're not getting their shots. They're not getting their, they're not wearing masks. They refuse to do it because there's like so little actual freedom in this country. Um, yeah. So people hang on to whatever tiny, I mean, I know like Obama had famously said that guns and uh, whatever it was, he said that the people latch onto. Um, yeah. So, but I think like there's an element of truth to that. And even like putting aside guns, it's like, I mean, that is like one of the things, right? Like we have a freedom to hold a gun. We have a freedom to not wear a mask. Don't tell me what to do. And it's because of people like Joe Manchin that have just killed every sort of opportunity to uh, move up in this world, you know, to have any sort of fairness in this country. And now he's acting like one of those petulant babies that he's like, who he's created through his policies. Well, it, it is very, I mean, like it is very gendered. You know, the term nanny state is a gendered thing. And, and the people that they're attacking for somehow being these enforcers, they're not going after Joe Biden. They're going after the squad. They're going after Pramila Jayapal. They're going after Nancy Pelosi. And and I do think there's this thing like, I'm, I, I assume both of you, I'm just going to guess, both had strong women in your lives growing up, right? It's sort of like a rebellion against that. Like the, that is like, that's like the mother figure is government and the nanny and you know you can't tell me what to do. I'm playing in the house. I'm making a mess. I'm not going to stop playing. Oh, by the way, the playing is like hurting other people. Like I want to punch my friend. I want to like play with fire all around the house. Like that's happening at a much much in a much more serious way. Um, okay, speaking of petulant children, Jesse Waters, who I have the honor of knowing personally, uh, Jesse Waters is a host on. I've been on his show before many times. Uh, Jesse Waters is, I don't know if he's still a host on, on, I don't know what the hell he's hosting on Fox, but uh, he's a Bill O'Reilly creation. Uh, he's the Frankenstein uh, of Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly adored him. Uh, but Bill O'Reilly, as, as was shown this week, he was in Orlando at a not full arena with Donald J. Trump, must have gotten to his, you know, both of their egos, uh, talking about how they're vaccinated and they both got booze. But Jesse Waters, not so much. He's like, I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to talk about being vaccinated. In fact, I'm just going to go full throttle against Anthony Fauci, their icon for whatever conspiracies they're peddling. Um, there was this conference in Phoenix. Was it called the Freedom Fest? Freedom America? America's Free Fest? Like, go America freedom, freedom. It's America Fest. Whatever. You insert your stupid tagline and you know what we're talking about. 
let's let's play this clip because Jesse Waters threatened and and, and advocated uh, for the for the murder essentially of Anthony Fauci. So then he's in trouble. Now you go in for the kill shot. The kill shot with an ambush, deadly, because he doesn't see it coming. This is when you say, Dr. Fauci, you funded risky research at a sloppy Chinese lab, the same lab that sprung this pandemic on the world. You know why people don't trust you, don't you? Boom, he is dead. He is dead. He's done. Now, how you do that? 30 seconds. That's all you need. 30 seconds. Now, you get that footage to us. You get it to Fox. You get it to Human Events. You get it to Breitbart. You get it to Daily Caller. You get it to the Turning Point Pipeline. Imagine Tucker Carlson teases out of the A block. Coming up. Brave college student confronts Lord Fauci at dinner. Exclusive footage right back. Get us that. That's what we want. That changes the whole conversation of the country. I've authorized it. Just make sure it's legal. Well, they're going to make sure, make sure you do it in a stand your ground state, like do it in a stand your yeah, ground state, because that's how you're going to be able to do it. There's I, a I lot there. <laughs> two things. Wait, Not much of a response ahead. there. Not much of a response. People are just kind of like, eh? like even there, even at a, at a Charlie Kirk's like, like lunatic fest, like even that, even then they were like, uh, I don't know. And then too, like, honestly, that's the first time I've seen that video, which is an indictment on the media and uh, so-called progressive left. And really anyone, like, I, I always constantly think like, what would Fox News do if something like this was said? This would be like played 24 seven on all those right-wing channels. This person would be like, he would be chased out of the country. You know, this would be like, if, if like a Democrat or a liberal said something like this yes. on the other hand, like we just like by wanting to ignore them, we simply just like let them have their lunatic uh, ecosystem. And Thank also you. like it just normalizes it. This sort of thing like, well, it happens. What can you do? I mean, like, I don't That's think right. we should give them all the power, but also like we need to up our game. And like, obviously you're trying Thank to this you. show, the newsletter, everything like these people are like conducting like a Nazi takeover of the country. And we're just Thank like. Well, you know, like well, we need to convince people yeah. with some tax credits. Well, well, it, but it's, it's it's also in these moments when you're silent or if you're picking fights with things that are completely non inconsequential affect like, a, you know, like don't even their inner party fights, whatever this that time to fight is over. The Nazis are literally running for local school boards. I'm going to say it over and over. They are open about it. And what I find so revealing about this clip is not just that he said that and their big excuse right now online is, well, he was speaking metaphorically. No, he wasn't. He said in 30 seconds done, send us the footage. Then he goes through how the pipeline, he literally says pipeline, he yeah. explains, pulls back the curtain and explains how it works. Cause Jesse's right. kind of an effing idiot and I know him and he's not actually supposed to say that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's funny it's because like, it's like the, the, the same thing they're, they're doing with Kyle Rittenhouse. It's kind of the same metaphors they were saying before January 6th when they were like a trial by combat and things like that. Oh, I'm just saying a metaphor. See what happens right after. And they're basically basically throwing it out there that 
whoever does this will be made into a hero and you'll be an overnight superstar in, in in our tribe or whatever. And um, it's it's crazy that it's happening. I mean, it's definitely a death cult. They, they, they use that type of language and that's what they're hinting at, you know, subtly. Do you guys watch Succession? Yes. Okay, so if, if you haven't seen Succession, you know, see, there's, I think it was in season two where um, they're interviewing this guy who's, I believe he's running for office or something. He reminds me of Josh Hawley, to be honest. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you, yeah, and he was like, they're like, how many times have you, have you read Mein Kampf? He's like, I've read it a few times. <laughs> there was this whole thing, they're trying to figure out if he's an actual Nazi. This is like the, the Succession family, it's like the Murdoch family, right? And, they're like, and he's like, I've read it a few times. <laughs> It's like okay, <laughs> like and, and like again, this is the first time I saw this thing, and like, why is that? Why is this being plastered everywhere? And I think it's like this idea of we've got to be a, like we don't have again a big leftist news network because there's not financial uh, incentive to do it, right? Like no, like AT and T went and made, went and made Newsmax because like uh, they want those subscribers, uh, they want those like, kind of right wing people. Oh, they went sorry, they went and made uh, OAN or whatever. OAN, they call it. Yeah. Um, there is no version of that on the left, but also like the quote unquote mainstream media just doesn't want to like play. Uh, they don't want to play judge, I guess. They just want to like uh, be uh, quote unquote objective. And that just means that like normalizing this sort of insane stuff. And until we, you know, if we should be using this moment to like say, hey, we need election reform because these people are literally going to be running the country. You know, uh, they just gerrymandered everything. These are like, and now in Georgia, what like Brian Kemp and uh, David Perdue are running to see like who will be nicest, like who allow the most gun murders. I think is what the what the challenge is now, and so we're not using any of these moments. It's, that is just like, well, we just, let's go back to being, you know, Steve Joe Manchin will do something for us, do a little, do a little something, something. And uh, meanwhile, they're spending like billions of dollars running ads in his state, saying thank you, Joe, for blocking the Build Back Better Act. Right. Uh, so, so I want to show Fauci's response. I mean. This guy, like, let's just remind everybody, like, science is a work in progress. And so I think what's happening is, like, folks are – I even have friends of mine who are vaccinated who are like, well, like, kind of came – like, yeah, they had to develop a vaccine very quickly, and they're human beings, and science is a work in – like, it is a working thing. So they – they but they find these little mistakes Fauci makes, and then they're just like, well, yeah, he's a human. He's a human, and he has to deal with public policy and science and politics all at the same time. And the stupidity of the right wing. So let's play this clip. Uh, on the subject of divisiveness, Dr. Fauci, I'm not going to play it because, frankly, I think it's dangerous. But, but Jesse Waters, who is a Fox News entertainer, was giving a speech to a conservative group where he talked about you and suggested to the crowd that they ambush you with what he said was some kind of rhetorical kill shot. That was his exact word. I'm wondering you know, how much that concerns you when you hear language like that about you and your, your well-being. Well, John, that's horrible. I mean, that just is such a reflection of the craziness that goes on in society. The only thing that I have ever done throughout these two years is to encourage people to practice good public health practices, to get vaccinated, to be careful in public settings, to wear a mask. And for that, you have some guy out there saying that people should be giving me a kill shot to ambush me. I mean, what kind of craziness is there in society these days? That's awful that he said that. And he's going to go very likely unaccountable. <laughs> I mean, whatever network he's on is not going to do anything for him. I mean, that's crazy. The guy should be fired on the spot. 
I mean, he should be fired on the spot. Listen, I mean, this is a company. This is a multinational corporation. It, we we somehow like, and they definitely portray themselves as being this like, uh, completely, you know, marginalized news. You know, they always say like the mainstream media wants to tell you while they're the they have the largest news audience in the country. Uh, their contributors float on down to like other like ABC all the time. They have this like rotating circle between like The View and and other shows. Um, they have their pipeline and their tentacles everywhere and they portray themselves to be victims. Um, but the truth is, is that it's it, they should be held responsible. And look at the board of directors of News Corps. You know, these people should be called out and saying you you are actually personally liable for whatever happens here if you are on the board of directors of News Corp or Fox News. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, who's, who's going to do it? Somebody needs but to yeah. do it, you know? And it's funny because I'm laughing at the conversation you have because it's, it's a conversation I have with many of my friends sometimes where it's like, you know, the way they, they demonize Fauci and and it's like more, more people know about Fauci than people know about Joe Manchin, I think. And, mm. and like the mainstream, like just regular everyday people. And it's kind of crazy that they were able to build a boogeyman like this. It was just a guy just telling people what to do to be careful. That's what he's saying in this thing. I'm just trying to tell people to be careful and things like that. And unfortunately, somebody like Jesse Waters, like you said, should be fired. Is it going to happen? Like, I don't know. I seriously doubt it. But who knows? not gonna happen like that's what like he's literally just saying what they like the only thing that he got caught on camera saying is the only problem you know like that's the stuff that they want that's like what they rally people at turning point usa to, to hear right they have these big grand parties and uh you know these big uh for like really weird kids i guess these big uh col like disaffected college conservatives they hang out there and they get hyped up and they go out and like you know get grab their guns like Colbert and house and actually do it but that's like the point of it you know they're not gonna uh choose suspend someone for or fire someone for saying what they want them to say just like yeah. kill the whole vibe they wouldn't be able to vibe well you know the other thing is like so he's on the show called the five and there's like always some rotating leftist there and one like person who hates trump that like worked for bush or something like that's kind of their their jam i'd like to see other hosts i mean if if, if he's not going to be held there are definitely people at fox news who I know do not endorse this kind of commentary. They're not part of, I mean, many have left recently, but but even then there are still folks at Fox News who've been there for a long time, whether it's Neil Cavuto, who's been there forever and I think is actually on the board of News Corps. They should call it out. This is that moment that if you have the opportunity to not be silent, even if we don't agree with you on 95% of the things, this is something that takes it to another level. This is how you like basically are building an army of folks to go after Anyone who stands in their way, literally, that's what it is, is anybody who stands in their way. And that, we can't be silent. Like, we can only do our part, but like, you know, maybe I tweet Neil Cavuto and I say, Neil, can you call out, you should step down. But you got to pull pressure around, around the power. It's like Fox News just saying Fox should fire him. That's important. And that pressure can build up. And that works in a lot of situations. It has worked with Bill O'Reilly and others. But- you know, call out the individuals who are part of that mechanism of power. You know, the reason why it worked when, when Bill O'Reilly got was because there were actual hosts at Fox News who spoke out and said enough. Well, you know, then we have uh, Chris Wallace just left, but he's going to yeah. CNN. He's going to be the face of CNN plus operation. And so these people like he's supposedly like the, you know, the, the rational mind at Fox News. But 
He was there for 18 years, has descended into the muck, and now he's going to be rewarded with a big contract to CNN. So instead of people being like their careers ending because they're at this sort of place, they are just like uh, they are g- gaining more power. I mean, Megyn Kelly, before she you know like self destructed, she pays a zillion dollars to go to NBC, and so until the other companies stop rewarding this stuff, then like That's right. you know. That's right. Um, all right, let's shift gears and, and be like, end on a hopeful note here. <laughs> uh, Chile, uh, this is this is pretty encouraging and exciting. And, um, you know, there there's a lot happening in Chile right now. Number one, they are rewriting their constitution, uh, which, you know, since Pinochet and the, 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 the first writers of the, their constitution were Pinochet descendants or allies or you know, part of his his uh, his rule. <laughs> uh, so Pinos, so so first they're doing this constitution, but they had elections, and a 35 year old activist who it was part of the Chilean Congress who got elected a few years ago. Uh, he is now declared the victor, Gabriel Boric. Um, he was an activist, a student activist, calling for a free tuition, and this is, I mean, this is transformative news. This is really transformative. But what I love about uh, his quote was from the, let me get it correct. Uh, he basically says, from the birthplace of neoliberalism, this is now going to be the graveyard of neoliberalism. I'm, I'm basically summarizing his quote. Um, this is huge. Like there's a, the far, he ran against someone on the far right who was basically uh, campaigning on a return to the dictatorship of Pinochet because he like adored him. Um I think this is big for the global South. I think this is great for South America while you see a, a, the rise of the far right. But what I find fascinating about what's happening in places like Chile and Argentina and Brazil right now um, and Venezuela to an extent, but not really, it's a little bit different, is you do have a clear, like the the sides, the, the lines are drawn and the sides are clear. Maybe not so much in Venezuela and places like Mexico, but this is encouraging, right? Do we feel like maybe this this will this gives us hope? I mean, my my thought is on this. I'll just throw this here, and you guys can answer. We uh, love Bernie, but like time for a new wave. This guy's thirty five. He feels it. He breathes it. And this is how we train our pipeline. Like for folks who are like Bernie should run again. Nope, he shouldn't. Sorry, I'm, I'll say it here first. He shouldn't. Not like we should actually build a pipeline so that we're not like you know run by Kyle. Uh, it's not Kyle Rittenhouse for president in ten years. I agree. I mean, like the same way they're trying to build Kyle Rittenhouse, like, you know, we should have just had some young energy coming in. With, with, and it's to me, it's very encouraging. It makes me happy just 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 to hear that this is happening and somebody is like uh, stick to the ideals. And it's actually talking about rewriting the Constitution, things like that. Just trying to gut the system and make rich people pay taxes. This is this is what we would want over here. You know what I'm saying? We're dealing with different circumstances, but that's kind of like the blueprint. And when when I see what's going on in Bolivia, when I see what's going on in Chile now, it's 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 a good trend that I hope continues. And I hope somehow it um, we get we get a little bit of a trickle effect over here. You know, because they did go super far right. I mean, places like Guatemala, they have like a Trumpian dictator, but there's a left. Same thing with Bolivia. So it's it's it. There seems to be a, a response. Jordan, before we get to your comments, I just want to play this clip of of what happened. Okay. 
Okay, so they were saying, el pueblo unido jamás será vencido, which means the people united will never be defeated. Uh, we know that rallying cry, and it's pretty pretty hopeful. Jordan? You know, I think what's great to see is that a 35-year-old, uh, you know, activist from the left, not only one, but was, like, allowed to be the the nominee, you know, was allowed oh, to, be, yeah. to lead the party. You know, I think the problem here is that, like, again, we just saw student debt push back two months, which is apparently, you know, some big victory. Wait, it was just announced while we're sitting here that it's being pushed to, to May for, uh, 1st now. Yeah, so either they're going to, like, keep pushing it back or have people mad even closer to an election. So uh, good luck with that. But, you know, it's the left has been just constantly berated and told that they're not realistic for what, like, all, I mean, forever, but especially the last year or so, but, you know, only whether it's, uh, you know, Abigail Spanberger blaming the left for every single little thing, whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matter or gun control or socialism or FDR or whatever they want to say. It's like, we don't know. They always say that, you know, we have to go with the most electable person, but we don't know what that looks like. You know, there's been no opportunity to have young people in office to have, unless they've, you know, done primaries like the AOCs and uh, folks of the world, but there's been so little opportunity for young people, for working people to get into the system. They're constantly just told to shut up, wait your turn, shut up, wait your turn, or just like, don't have your ideas out there. Um, you know, and right. so that becomes a huge problem. There's, you can't harness young energy if you're all 80 years old, you know? So, like, so here's my theory. Congress, great. I love that a lot of people like want to run for Congress, but you got to raise a lot of money to run for Congress. It's just undeniable. It's not about like, oh, start, you know, local. It's about local is where they're building this pipeline. Local is where you can actually win without having any sort of party support or frankly, any party attention. They're not going to go after you the same way. It's some local stuff, but they're not like, it's not like you're going to have like Nancy Pelosi, you know, intervening or like, you know, Clyburn coming into your district and you're going to have like APAC, like swooping in and, and spending millions of dollars to, to like shut you down. But if you run for school board and local city council, if you're not a big city, or even regular city size cities, it's much more achievable. I don't think we need to wait for them to welcome us. We just have to run like knock on doors. Like, you know, my, my mom was a local lawmaker and she, nobody recruits, just went and knocked on doors and talked to people like the old way of doing things. I, I just feel like we, I mean, yes, the 80 year olds won't move over, but we're more likely to win those congressional seats, which clearly nothing's happening in Congress right now, but we're more likely to win those other seats, the gubernatorial seats, the state Senate seats, et cetera, if we have that pipeline. You know, and you know this better than anyone given the work you're doing, but you know, it's expensive to run in like just in terms of time, right? Like yes. I, people work 24 seven now just to like make a living. That's Are you going to run for local office and attend all the local office meetings, right? You know, all the places in your county and your town council. And so like, I think that um, it, you know, if young people are able to start making more money, if there's like an opportunity, yeah. sort those sorts of things, like everything is stacked against young people, working people being involved. And obviously the work, work you're doing in Matriarch is trying to, uh, you know, alleviate that concern and, and that, that problem, but it's just a systemic, uh, you know, crushing. And the good thing about a lot of these local offices, just, just for folks, and obviously you have to check where you live. Most of them are part-time. Most of them are not like full-time, you know, there's like a council meeting once a week or, or every two weeks. Um, same thing with school boards, but and they're pumping a lot of money into school boards, but it's not you don't you don't have to raise like one hundred fifty thousand dollars for for one of those races unless you live in like Los Angeles or something. Napoleon, final thoughts. Well, oh, wise, wise well, Napoleon. Now you know my thought is when I see and I, I don't want to bring it back to Jesse, Jesse Waters thing, but the, the the platform that he that he's given with with Turning Point USA, where they're doing the America Fest, 
like we don't have nowhere near like that type of funding or the, this type of apparatus on the left. And to build somebody up too, and I'm from a national stage, we probably would need something like that. You know, I mean, it would help definitely. But I agree with you that it starts locally. It, it, it the system is rigged at, like against us, but you know we have to start somewhere, and and it has to be done. That that that's for sure. It's 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 a it's an uphill battle. My New Year's resolution is to help folks understand how they can be empowered to run and get involved locally because no one is going to save us. This is the moment now, like we have 11 months until the election where we're going to lose the Senate and Congress and who knows if Joe Biden's going to win. So what can we all do to help support people locally, run locally? It's going to take community. And I mean, DSA is great and Justice Democrats are great and all these organizations are great, but I think even, and Matriarch of course, but Sometimes you don't even need those organizations. You, the hyper, hyper local is not like a huge feat. So that to me is the pathway against fascism. It was in Eastern Europe and it is here today. So uh, that's my personal New Year's resolution. That and I need to lose 10 pounds. Jordan, what's yours? Uh, resolution. You know, I think it's trying to help the, those, uh, I think I wrote this in my newsletter, to help all the, all the organizations that are doing other grassroots, uh, you know, Groups, you know, start progressives everywhere, so that you know can help local Democrats and you know uh, places who are progressive and you know winning where they weren't happening. And I, you know, still continue to do that. Obviously, like they have to be good Democrats; they're not just going to be anyone. Um, but I think it's like organizations, like you know, I was working with Mississippi Votes a couple of weeks ago, had in the newsletter. You know, these folks that are doing the hard work to not only get people elected but spread uh, understanding and build power and creates opportunities for people to register to vote and to even understand how the government works, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think my resolution is to help lift up these organizations, uh, raise money for them, and then, uh, you know, in more perfect union, just like continue to piss off people in power, uh, you know, on behalf of workers. Napoleon, what's your resolution? Well, my resolution is artistically, and is really, um, Morgan with uh, Karthik and Marcus from uh, 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 Left, left flank vets mm -hmm. and we're working on putting together a project with many artists that has like a, a social uh socialist type point of view or left wing type point of view and it's to really get together with a lot of artists and try to pull like a project to have a mess messaging behind that project and to also be more vocal as an artist when it comes to throwing these ideas out there because that's what i do and and I think it I think it's uh, it could reach a lot a lot of people that maybe certain other things can can reach uh, other like channels can reach the arts. I had this thing about NFTs recently where I was like, why is it I really don't like NFTs? And I realized it's because it doesn't like that the art doesn't flow to your bones the way that music and art in front of you does. And maybe I'm wrong, and and I'll look back on this and will be critical. But I do think that like real art. So much of the art that's moved me personally has just been very political, and there's been so much history behind it, and and uh, I think that's amazing. I, yeah, I, I just I spent like the weekend watching the Beatles documentary, and it like I left being like, what kind of thing? What, what just happened to my brain? <laughs> so the process of art is, is is complicated. I don't know if you guys saw that yet, but the yes, Beatles documentary. Watch those songs. I, have not, I should I should check it out. It's kind of like weird and torturous, but also like addicting and like what? And then you leave. And for me, at least, it took like three days for me to process it all. And then I was like, oh. oh. I, just got, I just got depressed. They're in their mid to late 20s. And like this was like they had already done like seven years of music. And I was like, God. 
yeah. Did you know that like uh, John Lennon was like on heroin the whole time? Yeah, it's pretty good for a guy. Honestly. I know. <laughs> I was like, and then also I have mad respect for Paul McCartney. I hate to, I don't want to be a teaser here, but he was kind of annoying through all that. But then now I realize we're all on drugs and he was just trying to keep the thing going and like yeah. organized. And he was like up there every single morning at like 6 a.m. and like the last one to leave. I'm like, you go Paul McCartney, you're type A. It was the capitalist pressure to produce. They tried to create their own record company so they didn't have to worry about all that, but uh, they tried to make it socialist. But this pressure to produce, they had just, right it. now, they could just take a year or two off the way they do now with music, you know, go on tour, chill, work on side projects. Never would have broken up. That's it. They just didn't, they were tired. Like it was all very point. clear. They were like, five, uh, we can have them release a single in five months. And it's like, huh? It takes people years now. They were like, okay, we'll do it on the roof of our building. They're like, we'll take you to, to Libya. We'll take you here. And they're like, no, it was just the, the roof. Like yeah. Paul kept being like, what? why can't we just do it like in a grocery store? Yeah. <laughs> it was so great. All right, guys. Our, our, our people don't see the work that goes behind it, you know? It's exactly. a lot. It's a lot more than people think. And it's some, some things that are really dumb and tedious that might stop, stop a process. People don't oh, yeah. understand oh, that. Totally. Totally. Uh, maybe artists should run for office. It'd be more fun, at least. <laughs> oh, we should there definitely be more involved. You know, there's something to us having to 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 develop our right brain and keep using it and being creative and stuff like that. I think there's something to that. Absolutely. On that note, enjoy, take care, and nurture your right brain during the holiday. Uh, to everybody watching, hope you have a nice holiday. We're gonna do some best ofs this week. We have some special interviews that we're gonna post out, uh, including an interview with uh, Don Gutenplan from The Nation about uh, the year in review. So make sure to check that out. Stay subscribed if you aren't already. And, um, and we will see you in the new year. But in the meantime, stay in solidarity. Thanks, guys. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better fight back. I'm telling you why. Colonizers are coming to town. They're bringing their friends. They're taking our land. You're gonna find out they're naughty, not nice. Colonizers are coming to town. They steal when you're sleeping. They steal when you're awake. La Junta wants them to move in I'm Pierre-Louis, see let them stay You better watch out, you better not cry You better fight back, I'm telling you why Colonizers are coming to town Estas navidades no le rías las gracias a los gringos colonos con dios de COVID. No le des coquito, no le des pasteles, no los lleves a las parrandas. Que se vayan para Florida, se fríen el culo en Times Square. The No Mickey Show. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this melted pot. We live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. The No Mickey Show.